just going to start recording. Sounds good. You're drinking tea, I'm drinking wine. Sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) Is this good to pour, I think? I think it's probably ready. Yeah, it's pretty uh, steeped. We used to have these uh, little um, hourglass sand things. Oh, yeah. But they all started going missing, so we just let people kind of... uh, figure it out (laughs) (laughs) do people steal them it's possible i don't know just like i want this for myself oh you're gonna use the spoon to taste it wow yeah yeah slurping really came through oh well there you go man (laughs) you hear my slurping um well i just want to say first of all uh skylar you support me on patreon which is really cool and i was thinking of ways to like i don't know because right now I'm not really giving much. The only incentive for patrons is just like you get to listen to the interview before the official release, and it's un. I mean, it's edited as in it's it's polished, but it's not. There's no introduction. It's just the interview, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been trying to think of other things I could do. Like you as a patron, what would you want if there was like like i could send you a fucking sticker (laughs) a bumper sticker or something you know the way i feel about it is i'm just happy to support you because i just really like what you're doing with everything adding conversation setting up dialogues with people from around the world and having really great conversations i i really value a good conversation right i think that is already something that i'm just happy to support you for and, you know i i, I, th- well, thank I don't you. think all people are but you know well i i understand that that's the main <laughs> no, people don't support me because they're super they're like it's totally worth that five bucks to get that episode early because it's gonna be out anyway mm-hmm. i never want there to be a division between the content and the listener i mean the mm-hmm. only thing i just want to give it a slight like thank you to patrons because it's free you don't have to do it you know right um, but I was just thinking of things like maybe I could, cause there's a few people that, um, have contacted me, <laughs> have contacted me since, uh, they started, uh, supporting me and they they tell me their like life story. No. There's a guy uh, named Dominic. I'm not going to say I've too much. I've seen some of his comments like on the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he's great. I mean, he sent me an email kind of telling me his background and only thing I'll say is he like, he's trying to live off the grid a little more he bought a house up in i think maine and he's trying to trying to really do some real shit with mm. the property like it's really cool um for me it's enriching to meet more people that are i guess on that level mm-hmm. it sounds almost arrogant to say that there's a level but there is a certain kind of clarity or yep. awareness that people come into <clears throat> and then they come into contact with other people right because right, you're right. hungry for it you're right. thirsty for that <laughs> and and then and then they find my podcast or other podcasts and then you kind of connect all these different people together and it's really cool i love it yeah that's exactly what the whole conference was for me so i went to the plant uh, spirit plant medicine conference which this was the eighth one they've had they had it at this was also the biggest venue they had it was at the university of british columbia at the in the student building and that's exactly how I felt getting to, getting to meet all those people there was I'm just like, wow, you know, there's these types of people are very rare in Idaho and in, in southern <laughs> yeah, Idaho. Yeah, they don't exist, you know, basically. Like everything that we were doing 
well, I mean, if we did that here, we'd go to prison for it, you know, like, like, <laughs> yeah. like literally, I mean, no, yeah. one of the, one of the highlights of, of the, the conference was there was a ceremony, there was a, a cannabis ceremony. Mm-hmm. And so how it was set up, like we were to go into the, the room where we were having the conference and the speakers and, and at, at seven thirty, and then we were going to all go outside and we really treated it, uh, you know, like a real ceremonial space. Like we had a, a the, the MC, the guy who was running the thing, um, he had a bell that he would ring. And so we all quietly walked outside and, you know, they said, if you had your own medicine, your own cannabis, you know, go ahead and use that. But if not, there was like a dispensary that mm. donated like 70 free joints to us. Nice. And so we all just were like walking outside and it felt like to me with like how quiet we were. It, it wasn't necessarily solemn, but like it felt like the the Ice Age movie where they were all just like trekking <laughs> to go, you know, that's, yeah. that's what it felt like to me. I don't know why. It was kind of funny. The conditions weren't as... Sorrowful, but it just kind of felt like that. It was, it was nice, or like a pilgrimage or something, you know, like yeah, yeah. No, it's um, like you had an intention, and it was almost like a ritualistic. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, for me, not sorry. I won't talk about myself, but yeah. So you do the, you do the cannabis sort of ritual thing. Yeah. And what did that entail? Like, was there like a thing said? Was there like a, a special way that it was? Like, what was the context of the use of it? So the context was to. Um, we really wanted to create a good space with it. Um, you know, like we were going to dedicate to be quiet while we're going outside and while we're, we're smoking. Um, so we go outside and, and, and it's just funny cause there's the, the conference there are probably at least like what, two, 300 people. Mm. And so we're all outside just on the university of British Columbia. Their policy was that you can smoke on campus. You just have to be like eight meters from a doorway and just like nowhere near the medical building. And so we just were all, but it was kind of raining. So we were kind of like underneath the, the portico of the, yeah, the yeah. and so we were all just lighting up and it was great. And you know, like <laughs> even I, and I had my flute too, of course I had my flute. And then while I was just playing my flute, like Paul Stamets is just walking by, and he, <laughs> he looks like he's having a good time. He was just, like, looking around. He's like, well, you know. You met Dennis McKenna, too, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I met Dennis McKenna. That was the first day. That was because the ceremony was on Saturday, and I got to meet Dennis on Friday. And, and he was just awesome, of course, you know. Like, he, mm-hmm. he was so open and friendly with me and just to everybody, you mm-hmm. know, just willing to talk and share and, and, and just just great. It's Yeah so awesome to see a, a character like that just in the flesh uh, tea sip um, tea's good and so you know we go back in the su- we go back inside and there was how it was set up was there was some musicians or medicine men or shamans you could say they were doing kind of shamanic sort of music like sound healing and so there was uh, one girl her name was Theta Phoenix and I got to meet her a couple times. I chatted with her because, of course, I'm really into music. And, and I get, like, all these people, like, the, the musicians that played, they were just so nice. Every time I went up and talked to them, like, Theta, Theta was just uh, just way nice. The, there was another guy that, and so she did, like, crystal bowl singing and mm-hmm. just, like, uh, singing with her voice. And it was just, like, angelic and just always set the mood. It helped us relax and helped us kind of get into that space and just, you know... Um, 
And then after that, there was this group that uh, that came from a Santo Daimi church. And so oh, Santo right, Daimi right. is a, a church that uh, started in, I think it was Brazil. Yeah. Um, and they use ayahuasca as their sacrament. But they're, they're, the mythology that they kind of concern themselves is Christian-focused. and sure. So like the figure of Christ and also heavily the figure of, of uh, St. Mary. And so they sing a song, Santa Maria. Santa Maria and... And Santa Maria is something they kind of put with the cannabis. Like the cannabis in their uh, kind of religion is what brings out uh, the the figure uh, St. Mary. And so that song they sang was just like so beautiful. Because like, sure. like uh, you know, and we're all in the room and we're all just kind of quiet, you know, sitting kind of like with, you know, in a meditative position, like with an erect spine so we can just kind of be... Not just like slouched and just sure, like you're attentive. Out. Yeah, attentive, yeah. present awareness to the experience. And when they were when they were singing, I just I felt protected. Like it was so mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. Like it's it sounded like what they were singing was like outside of time, and it was just like coming in, and it was just right. so beautiful. It was like a family, and there were some girls and some guys. The guy playing guitar was just amazing, and and that was cool. And then after them, they we did like a guided meditation, which was uh, really cool. It was pretty interesting. Um, had to kind of use your imagination a lot. Um, uh, of course, the beginning of it was just kind of grounding yourself in the breath, which is always, you know, always useful. I mean, I, I have a pretty valuable meditation practice for just watching the breath. I w- it's always amazing for grounding ourselves. Um, and then after that, came shine shine edgar and this guy is like a world-class didgeridoo player and i've never really heard or been interested in didgeridoos but i have since changed that opinion after (laughs) listening to this guy because this guy absolutely like this guy can hold down like a dance floor with his didgeridoo alone like he can do polyrhythms he can just like boom boom it's it's like incredible i was completely blown away i mean like when this guy was playing like um, I, it, I, 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 there was just like this energy that was like coming through me. It was, sure. it was, it was great. And, um, and, and then he did some playing with this ngoni, um, which is like an African instrument, kind of a string instrument, kind of play it like a harp. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, and that was, that was really cool. And then, um, and then we, he led us in some like group ohm chanting. And so we all were like, ohm. And we all kind of had this, you know, set frequency. And then on top of that, he would do some, like, singing on top of that. I think it was just, like, some improvised kind of intuitive singing. And then and then if you wanted, you know, you could play around with harmonies and stuff. And so I was doing that a bit. I always like to play with harmonies and stuff. And uh, and then there were other people in the crowd, too. Like, I'm just, like, I was I was listening to just, like, there are angels in this room. <laughs> like, they were, like, just, like, the. I was yeah. so impressed right. and so amazed with how good other people were just the whole thing was just it was amazing that whole experience really really got me i mean in a way like i i saw how my life could come together in a way because i'm really big into music i'm working on my second album right now which is coming along pretty good and and i've always wanted to do live music i've mostly done studio work and doing production and that type of stuff and but this whole thing i'm just like i really want to do like this type of ceremonial music and with this type of space with these types of intentions because it oh my gosh you know i i just thought it was so profound even even with like you know, a, a number of experiences I've, I've already kind of had with, mm-hmm. I'd just say, psychedelics. Cannabis can be a, absolutely a, a psychedelic. Mm. So what is the, 
What is the purpose of the event? The purpose of the event, I think, is for... It's kind of focused on ethnobotany, ethnopharmacology. There were a number of really cool different speakers. Like, there was Chris Killham. He's off of uh, Medicine Hunters on Fox. Mm. And uh, he was he actually gave his talk on Sunday morning, um, which was pretty cool. He kind of set it up like a psychedelic sermon. Like, we're all going to church, and he gave this, like, sermon. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because, you know, it was a congregation. Um and um, and then there was this one guy that was talking about how he was able to use salvia to um, to help heal like one of his uh, swollen lymph node in his neck, wow. and that was really fascinating because like I, I personally use salvia and it and it uh, I don't know how any, anybody could extract you know medicinal value out of it. It's it's fucking weird, dude. Yes, it's the weirdest. Yeah, and this guy is you know <laughs> that's what he went over from. He's like I'm sure everybody has had like very uncomfortable negative experiences with salvia, but this guy, so like the method that he ended up doing was like this like small incremental dosage where you like maybe smoke just a little bit and then sit that and you want to meditate before and then for three minutes you know just like keep meditating and then if you feel ready just do a little more and do a little more because salvia the salvinorum a the 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 compound that's psychoactive is actually has a, a, a reversible tolerance and so like the more you do the more it is active and so, wow. so instead of just like smoking a big fat bowl and just like going straight into salvia land where you're just like obliterated in your consciousness <laughs> and you just, yeah, like yeah. it's nice. You kind of ease yourself in, in, in stages and huh. I haven't tried that yet, but it seems like to me like a much better technique for wanting to build a coherent relationship with the plant. And so with that, in that phrase relationship with the plant, that's kind of about what the whole conference is about is figuring out how we can restore our relationship with plants and with the earth i mean i think that's um because you know uh, because while while some of those experiences can be can be grand and loving they also they also can kind of be very terrifying and you know you can start to see some of these problems that you know that you've talked a lot about on your podcast like uh, you know ecological problems a lot of political problems and those can definitely come with a great power and force and urgency that can be like really like oh my gosh you know sure. and and when you pair that with with you know some of the other experiences like the very um loving and just like beautiful experiences juxtaposing those positions is really powerful because it kind of builds inside of you this sense of urgency to want to conserve this type of beauty like the, some of these like like during the sermon i'm just like how insane how beautiful how crazy it is it that this can even be an experience you know oh, right like yeah. that that is it's 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 wonderful and it's something that need that may not always be the case you know we we could we could fumble the ball and and potentially ruin millions billions of years of symbiotic evolution of you know different organisms and and so yeah it was, it was you know and then i come back to idaho uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and uh things are definitely different here i mean you know i was i was kind of psyched you know to see how uh, the election would go course i mean i wasn't too surprised that paulette lost um sure i was i I was thinking you know it probably would take a miracle for her to win miracles can sometimes happen but i guess not this time um but you know i noticed i 
I like how we voted on the propositions, like no on Prop 1 and yes yeah. on Prop 2. Um, yeah, yeah. Seems like we're good at voting on particular things, but not on people. Yeah, it's, it's hard for people to get uh, to... I don't know. I don't even think it's that they disliked her. As a, I mean, maybe some people, they're just like, we don't want a woman in power, and we don't want an indigenous woman in power in particular. There are those people, for sure. Mm-hmm. But I think it is just the... Uh, we are uh, we are a red state, and uh, those, those definitely swing, but um, some Idaho hasn't gone Democrat. I don't know when the last Democrat was elected. like 20, 30 years ago. It was a long time ago, yeah. Name, I think in the way that things have been structured is is to vote in a lot of places, you have to be registered. Like, I don't know how it works exactly. I can't remember, but I remember it was very very particular way that the Republicans have kind of rigged things in their Mm -hmm. favor they make it a little more difficult for democrats to vote well Um, i mean to share my experience every time i because i'd go vote in person at jerome middle school and there was some older people there and when i like when i went to go vote in the primaries i uh, i was 22 at the time had a beard on my face and like this old woman she's like are you old enough to vote you know and just be like very very much stigmatizing me for like just she probably just knew I was young and that I'd probably... Well, young people do have a propensity to vote generally more yeah, towards you're gonna the left. Yeah, you're going to vote for a Democrat, most likely, yeah. Most... I, I, I think so in Idaho, because I think that... Because I, I, I really consider myself a centrist, because I see the value of both the left and the right, because I think that if if you ever come about a any particular value that's worth saving or conserving you want to conserve that and it's very important to be able to retain those values now the problem with that is of course chaos is always lurking you know things are always changing and so sometimes you and so and so that's the duty of the right you know is to to conserve and then on the left it's to be able to go out into the unknown and kind of bring new ideas to the table and that that all kind of works under the paradigm of free speech that we and being able to have conversations and actually mediate between those left and right divisions which something which is something we're not good at right now i mean like the most the the left wants to kill the right the right wants to kill the left they don't want to talk they don't want to kind of share and compromise Um, yeah i get that i think though that the the way that again i i look at it a little differently um i don't think that it's not even that i think that the left or the right have equal grounds i think that we've moved so far to the right in our dialogue um that the center is so far away from what the center was even like 20 40 60 years ago like you know Bernie Sanders is considered a leftist in the United States and he's basically a a kind of Roosevelt New Deal era democrat and and he's still very much pro military you know i think if he would be, have been if he gets ever gets elected he would still be in the pocket i think of the military industrial complex i i don't see him as actually being a leftist compared to especially other European, say, countries, right? The dialogue has shifted so far to the right that what we're arguing about is really right-wing politics and, and the, the subtle differences between what we call Democrat or, or Republican, um, they're still both business class um, parties. Corporate. Yeah. 
So to me, like when you're talking about being a centrist, I, I, I don't mind that at all. I just think that the discussion has been so far pushed in one direction in the United States, the spectrum, the, the, you imagine like a scale, like in the center would actually be, I don't even know where it would be, but it would be a, probably a state mandated form of, of social safety nets. And, uh, maybe I would even argue that in, in Europe, if you were to say that we want, um, affordable healthcare, free healthcare, universal healthcare for our citizens, we want, um, affordable or or free education for for students that wouldn't even be considered a a right-wing idea or left-wing idea that would be just like that's how societies are supposed to our nations are supposed to take care of Mm -hmm. their citizens that's the whole point right Um, but again we've moved so far to the right in our dialogue over the past several decades that um to have any meaningful discussion with the right is really kind of um i'm i'm not I, i i don't disagree with you in that we should have a dialogue but i think we are kind of past the point um where a dialogue is even even possible and that that sounds really sad and when i say it out loud i don't know how much i believe it but i kind of <laughs> feel like that's true though um i do really think that that the and this is actually something that i talked about with dr bones uh, um and he's very you know I wanted him in the live <laughs> podcast because he is so much who he is. He is who he is, Dr. Bones. There's no mm-hmm. way to get around him, I guess. He's just, he is this, like, impenetrable force of, and I agree with him on a lot of things, and that's the thing. He's just so upfront about it. And um, something he says, like, right now is, is you know, the, the right wing has such a fine control over the narrative in this country that when right-wing groups are beating people up in the street the police don't really do much about it and the city has to new city of new york for instance has to figure out why how to apologize for a a anarchist uh sign that was sprayed on a a door when it doesn't even fucking matter like the 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 narrative again has been shifted so far to the right that i think that we're kind of in a a space where we're really gonna have to we're gonna have to stop kind of pretending that uh dialogue is is really the uh the thing that's going to diffuse this uh, tension that we've accumulated in our country. That's my, again, my, my opinion. And I don't know, but yeah, I I think it depends kind of how you see and perceive what dialogue is. I see, I see, I have a very, I, I don't know, kind of like a deep notion of dialogue that I inevitably get from Jordan Peterson. And Jordan Peterson is, in a way, you know, I really, I really think, like, so when I think of centrism, I also think of Jordan Peterson, because I think there's also some things that are happening on the left that are important to consider. I think it's a reason why the left has recently been unable to kind of compete with the right, and I think it's a large part of it is because of how radical the left has gone in terms of some of their identity politics and some of that. Um, like, and I... You know, and I and I don't want to get too much into some of the con- controversial stuff because I mostly want to speak about kind of my own experiences because, you know, the reason I think Jordan Peterson kind of came to where he was was because a lot of it was out of his out of defense for, you know, compelled speech and, and his position at the, the university. And, um, but, you know, there have been some instances like, uh, you know, for me working within Students for Sensible Drug Policy where 
I feel like I like I like there is this this uh, you know like racism towards white people like white men that is I think too severe and to the point where like I it, it to me it's like a type of violence that 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 I see that I see in some people that it's been directed directly towards me where I've even been called a racist even though I really am trying to um, but like you know, I see the war on drugs as like a big. I do see systemic racism, and I do see how the, the the West has have the history of colonialism is very sad, and it's very um, it has brought about the destruction of many valuable cultures, many, many you know a lot of knowledge and a lot of language and um, right and but. I, I think I think and it, so I come at it kind of like from a Buddhist perspective too in terms of cycles of suffering and what keeps keeps us in cycles and I think there comes a point where if the identity politics is too strong that you know at some point you have the people you know the, well, I don't want the underdogs like the people who are uh, oppressed you know mm-hmm. they have this vengeance to want to completely you know flip things over and then sure. I have a feeling that would come, that would still just promote race wars and, and, you know, yeah, it wouldn't solve, it wouldn't, it wouldn't alleviate the, uh, the, the, uh, the issue in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's why, and that is why a lot of like very far right people have, you know, are bunkering more so into fascism because like they, you know, I don't agree with this, but you know, they're like, if, if you want to play identity politics, we'll play identity politics. And so there are there are those groups of, of of you know white supremacists who are very that that this huge playing of the game of identity politics pushes them more towards wanting to protect themselves out of fear, and that's what that's what I feel, you know. So when you talk about like the conversation being more right wing, to me what that means is we are we 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 operate too much under the conditions of fear rather than curiosity because those are two responses those are the two responses you generally have to the unknown True. you have curiosity like you know what is this you know and then there's also fear because and both of those are warranted but you know i i think a lot of people nowadays like you know in idaho uh why even trump is here is because they're afraid they're afraid of losing wealth they're afraid of losing um uh, you know, they're, they're afraid of uh, their jobs being taken and, you know, all that stuff. And I, I think a lot of that stuff is really ridiculous because I, I, I think to a certain degree um, we need to be a lot better at being more empathetic. You know, like some of those programs you were talking about, like, uh, you know, like education, uh, sure, free like, education, free. Right. Those are things that we should be able to do as humans if we were really coming at this from a place of heart rather than a place of I think greed and of wanting to better our economy sure. um, and there's of course there's a lot of consequences that have come out from our uh, interest in, in greed and economy and you know like you were talking about the, the, the new guy in Brazil with Mina and, and how it seems he wants to he, he just values money and, and, and using the, the Amazon as a place of money rather than preserving it for its ecological value and qualities. Yeah, and, and to talk about the identity thing, I think that there's more and more people on the left 
the radical left that are they they respect people for their identities but they're beginning to understand that um this obsession with identity and representation of identity um has deterred them from actually addressing the the truly systemic issues which is yep. economic and right so like if if you're a true in my opinion on the left you're going to be very critical of capitalism and its underlying program what it's about and um and i think that that that's starting to come up and and you know one thing i mentioned with mina which was really interesting speaking of her you know she's brazilian and um, that that episode will be out uh publicly on monday so uh you know mina she's she uh she's very worried about what's currently happening and particularly we're talking about the uh the indigenous and columbist i think is how you say that columbus people um because they they have very little right they have very i mean we think that they have some they have some but it's very difficult for the indigenous people to have their voices heard or represented and with this guy being elected so so the thing i wanted to say is that that now that this guy has been elected bolsonaro um, you have people f- across the spectrum that are afraid of what's going to happen working together, starting to work together. And we discussed a thing where she said that these groups of indigenous uh, peoples and um, leftists, and you have, like, say, a trans person who who identifies as something else than maybe what the indigenous person would see them as. And so they misgendered them or something. And I said, you know, that's interesting because there has to be a certain level of recognition that we don't quite understand each other's values totally not to say that we don't respect each other but we don't understand what's important regarding our identities and we have to give each other some space to to bounce off each other a little bit and not be so immediately offended mm-hmm. and and then the thing with the left also being them being so obsessed with identity has again detracted from the main point which is that you know i think that the socioeconomic system that we have is is a destructive force on this planet and we need to really work to undermine that and to not only undermine it, but then to build something better. And what would be that something better? Well, I think that for me, it's, it's about um, pointing to, uh, I, I mean, it's pretty blunt, but it's just like, you know, trying to, trying to work on, again, this is something I talked about with Dr. Bones a little bit, like in response to climate change and also the rise of, um, you know, uh, well-trained, well-armed, well-organized right-wing militias uh, is to is to train ourselves and then to build mutual aid networks, um, which is based off of anarchist principles. And something we discussed again with Dr. Bones was the uh, the the revolution in Rojava. Now, this is again, this is a far-left um, idea, which is to eliminate hierarchy in the best possible way, to create communes that are connected. Um, and are able to trade with one another, but we're able to create councils so people can be a part of the decision-making processes. And, um, you know, that I, I would argue that that's a very effective and very... I mean, you have to experiment, and there has to be some level of experimentation that comes with building these social organizations. But um, to me, that's desirable, because if you can move away from capitalism and its logic, which is to turn every single thing including human relationships into a commodity into something that can be bought and sold in a marketplace. And that the, as I think it was a, he was a writer, um, Mark Fisher described it as business ontology, which is that everything becomes fit fits within the logic of business. Everything comes down to like, for instance, when 
you hear anything about whether it's Democrats or Republicans, they want to talk about bringing jobs back. We need more jobs. We need more jobs. And I'm like, that's that's the ontology of business, which is that jobs are above everything. When we should really should be questioning, how do we get away from exploitive workplaces? How do we get away from being exploited by other people? Mm-hmm. And that means getting rid of this whole notion of this value of jobs, especially in a, a time of exponential technological advancement. It's kind of crazy that we're actually working more than we ever have been. Right. You right. know, um, I think, yeah, I think with that technological advancements, I think something more, more and more as time goes on and universal basic income is something that we should consider. Um, I actually, so couple of things for me i if you want to hold the microphone so it's like oh, kind of the sorry. top of, no you're good um it's just that it's very direct omnidirectional right okay that's probably good um yeah it helps like weed out all the right. weird sounds in the cafe <laughs> um <laughs> so i think capitalism is I see capitalism as you make, you know, like an open market, making a product and then being able to sell. If it's a good product, you know, you'll sell it to the people and you'll be able to generate that income. And then what what I think has to be paired with capitalism is ethics or a transcendent function or like a notion of God. Because like, and, and that's a very kind of a metaphysical thing but i'll root that more in a sense of ethics like you know of really wanting to take care of other people and what i because i think some of the alternatives i and i don't think we can do away with hierarchies i think that they're very important to us psychologically speaking and but the thing is you have to have a balanced pyramid you know it has to be with with the proper proportions if it's if it's too flat you know that's basically like what communism is where there's no real drive to produce any sort of service or good because you you it, it won't be yours you know and there's nothing you'll really get to take back from it and you know some of those types of things like communism we've seen played out in in, in Europe, you know, in uh, USSR and, 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 and Stalin and Mao, and that led to the deaths of millions of people. And, and that's something that we have to keep in mind. And, and uh, because, again, communism doesn't... And also something that happened with communism as well that was that, you know, like Carl Jung writes about in The Undiscovered Self is what happens with a religion over time as a state slowly kind of usurps and replaces the religion. Because I think... Again, another, like, I think one of our core issues is actually not, it's actually mostly a religious issue. I think that's actually our core issue. I think we don't, like, especially coming back from that ceremonial experience, we don't have proper ceremonies here. We have, we're, we're not really connecting with a deeper, with a deeper principle. And, and, and so the, the other problem, so to kind of go towards the other extreme where capitalism or with the, where the pyramid is too, too tall, that also produces many inequalities where to try to rise up the hierarchy becomes too difficult. And so you kind of don't even bother. And then you end up having most of the wealth at, you know, the, the very top of it and almost none at the bottom. That's why I think capitalism with like a universal basic income would actually be pretty useful to be able to solve some of those problems where because another problem with capitalism is that those who start with nothing absolutely nothing it's very difficult to get any sort of start 
in the whole process. I think a universal basic income could at least help that. Um, and because so, and 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 so the, the, the pyramid has to be balanced to the point where because I think that there is a transcendent function within the pyramid and within the shape of the pyramid you know like even on like the dollar bill there's at the top of it it has that and even if they were still here you know the 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 golden capstones on the egyptian pyramids i think that there really does come a point where in working to the way you you don't destroy the hierarchy you transcend the hierarchy by playing its game to the point where you generate enough movement upwards to the point where you can almost just kind of you, you you make that transcendent leap out of it, and um, and that that kind of is a little metaf- metaphysical. And I'm 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 of course still working on that thought, and there's still some things that I think are missing with that. But um, but overall, I I mean like I think I think capitalism has I, I think I think there have been. Uh, I, one of the pro, another so one of the problems I have with capitalism again is that I think if you it it, it it's not capitalism I think to me it's actually ethics it's each individual's greed and it's the ability for each person to be able to go through with their greed because I I am like I am somebody who like I don't even like watch TV watching TV any advertisement I try to seriously block out because I I'm like I think it's very evil what a lot of advertisements are doing in terms of like succumbing to some of our very basic desires like soda I'm just like very skeptical of like also you know like and how they have these very nice commercials with like you, you know and they play music and they you know like they kind of play with our psychology to get us to want a product that we don't really need, but that we get to think that we need. I think that's a big problem. I don't think that's something inherent in capitalism. I think that's something, again, inherent with our lack of ethics and our lack of religion. I would say that you could argue that capitalism emerged out of, definitely at first it came out of Europe. I think America is where it really began to kick off. Um, and even with a strong religious ethical uh, backbone, capitalism and, and over time became the religion, became the, the the matter of ethics. So, and I think that that's what inevitably would happen and has happened, and what's been been diagnosed and critiqued and discussed for hundreds of years at this point is seeing that the progression of capitalism is to usurp all of that into morph these ethics you're talking about and serve the interest because that's what it does it's a it's a it's an infinite growth paradigm and it has to continue to expand itself and continue to find more and more things to capitalize on to commodify and to sell on a marketplace and that's where we're at right now ecologically on this planet um where again you know we can go over i've talked about this a million times but i i think that you can't have like I don't know how an ethics system, a system of ethics, could be implemented within a capitalist system because the capitalist system itself um, will grow outside of the bounds of an ethical dimension, right? There, I think there's a lot of people that work within large corporations that have their own personal set of ethics. They're like, I will not violate this person's autonomy. I will not do all these things. Blah blah blah. But they work for a corporation, and the whole point of that company is to maximize profits. And that will always sorry <laughs> that, will, that will always over 
overturn any ethical concern because if it if it saves a few dollars, if it like for instance, the ethics between or you have an oil company or whatever, or not even an oil company, say it's a chemical company, and they're like, well, it's it's cheaper for us to dump these chemicals into the river, and yes, we might get fined by the EPA, might have a court, you know, whatever, uh, court case that'll rule, we would probably lose, probably have to pay this amount of millions of dollars in fines, but it's still cheaper for us to dump that chemical into the river because that's going to save us more money in the long run, so let's mm-hmm. do that. So almost always, like, again, the the system itself produces a condition where even the most well-intentioned people within the most position, the highest positions of privilege, like, I think even if the president of the United States had a, a not a non-Trump necessarily, but anybody in that position had an ethical backbone at all, that in order for them to even get into that position, they're going to have to be broken down and serve certain interests. Like, it doesn't matter who we get into power. That's why I'm not really interested in voting, because... I don't see it as actually furthering any of the actual energies and intentions of the people that think that voting is going to matter, right? I think that we have to really do stuff that's outside of our comfort zones and that exists outside of anything voting could possibly accomplish because I think voting essentially at this point is there to just diffuse the tensions and energies of the people. Um, Anyway, I don't know what my point was, but I I think my my major point, I guess, is that I I don't think... That we can have a system like capitalism coupled with any real robust sense of ethics because those ethics will always be undermined by the profit motive. It will always, that will, that if that's the underlying basis of the system, you know, unless you want to hand over a ton of power over to a state, which again, being an anarchist, I don't want that either because that inhibits freedom as well. So to me, it's a matter of questioning that as well and and not buying into sort of the social socialist democrat or democratic socialist notion that a lot of people are getting on with like this um bernie sanders or or um agnostic what's her cortez agnacio cortez i think is her name alexandria Mm -hmm. cortez um not that i have anything against these people personally i just think that it's kind of a pipe dream and again all of this is framed within the context of abrupt climate disruption, <laughs> and we can't be so we can fuck around with with uh, false solutions. So, uh, I'm not so sure that there has been a sort of ethical integrity that capitalism has come out of. Um, I think that's been missing for at least two thousand years, and the reason I think that I think well. I think that we were told the wrong story. I think that a lot of um, kind of earth-worshipping sort of, you know, cults and uh, rituals and ceremonies, those got gutted by what I would call the corrupted Christian church, the Orthodox church that went around and aggressively spread its dogmas and its, you know, it, it, and... And, and really, that took away, I mean, like, the Eleusinian Mysteries was enormous. It was a very powerful force in Greek culture. Even before Athens, it was around for at least 2,000 years, maybe longer. True. And for those who may not know, the Eleusinian Mysteries um, it went on for 2,000 years. It was, a, um, it was focused around the hymn, the Homeric hymn of Demeter and Persephone. So it was very focused on the feminine, very focused on agriculture, very focused on the earth. 
and even a, it was a lot of priestesses that kind of went about doing the ceremonial type of stuff because they were in charge with the connection with the divine and the 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 sacred feminine which is something that i think we've lost because again after uh, after the monotheistic you know locker room male locker room christianity went and destroyed a lot of these things um we've lost connection with the guy in mind and we've lost connection with with the earth and how to take care of it and that's why i think ceremony at this point if it's done right and with the right intentions that to me you know when you're talking about things that we do outside of voting to help us to help guide us to help get us towards a better place that's kind of what comes to mind for me right and and so what i think you know what i think we're told the wrong story um i'll kind of get into this um because i think it's necessary um i think i linked it to you one time before but the secret book of john the apocryphon mm -hmm. of john mm -hmm. so this was a text that was found in the naj hamadi library in 1945 and it is a Gnostic scripture. And so the only thing we have traditionally heard about Gnostic Christians was from Irenaeus and, and his, uh, I don't know what it's called, but his, or what it, the thing is called, but it was called Against Heresies. Mm -hmm. And he very much denounced Gnosticism and, you know, called it heretical and blasphemous. And, but really, I mean, like, I, you know, I was raised Christian in an Orthodox Christian context, and I... Um, became very skeptical of it. Every time I'd go to organized, institutionalized type of church, it made me more skeptical of it. And kind of being able to distance myself from that, I've kind of been able to find my own personal kind of and direct understanding of what God is, which I think is really important for us to be able to do, instead of it being mediated by somebody else. Um, and so this... The Secret Book of John I, is really fascinating to me because it actually presents an entirely different mythos than the Old Testament kind of Genesis. And in it, some of the, and I think it solves or, or, or some of the problems that we have in our culture today because we still are operating under kind of the, the biblical passages. So there are many people who are still kind of entrenched in those. And as a people, we, we, we do. Like story and narrative is something that is very important for us to be able to understand who we are and what we're to do in this world. And, and in the secret book of John, it, you know, uh, uh, well, so I'll start in Genesis, you know, Adam and Eve get kicked out of the Garden, Eden, Garden of Eden for eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because they were tempted by the serpent. But in the secret book of John, um, which is set up as a revelation from Christ to John, and in it, Christ reveals that he was the one that he perched on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as an eagle, and he's the one that got Adam to wake up or to eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil so he can wake up from the imprisoned, the Garden of Eden, which was like this unconscious paradise that Yaldabaoth, who's like a demiurge who was created mm -hmm. by Sophia, who is an aeon. <laughs> I love the cosmology of it. It's so interesting. Right. And it gets pretty, you know, if you're not familiar with it, this probably all sounds like a bunch of hunky-dory stuff. I don't know. Right. But, the, but some things like, so in Gnosticism, in Gnostic Christianity, there's what's called the pletoma, which is the, the heaven, the fullness. That's the real divine abode of all of these aeons. And, and 
what w- things went wrong when Sophia created without her masculine counterpart, which is really interesting because there was because you need the masculine mm-hmm. and the feminine that, and the balance of that and the unity of those opposites to create a full being. Mm-hmm. But she created she ended up creating this like deranged being, and she was very scared of what she made, and so she hid she hid him, and she called him Yaldabaoth from all of these other. Uh, from the other aeons, because she was scared, and eventually Yaldabaoth is the one that creates the material world, and he, you know, eventually makes Adam and traps Adam in the material world, and 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 every time Adam kind of makes a, a step towards ascension out of this material world and to go to go beyond Yaldabaoth, Yaldabaoth, you know, he's a jealous god and he wants to keep Adam within his dominion, mm. and. Um, and which, again, some of these things, they sound very weird. But when I look at our culture and some of these things like Yaldabaoth and I see, see a figure like that, like this demiurgic principle that's trying to seek dominion over the other people, I, that's like that's Western civilization right now. That's yeah. what I, I see that still playing out. And Western civilization, uh, so, so as it goes on, like Christ was sent down to help Adam and he tells him the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's actually the snake that's trying to get them to keep eating the tree of life so that way they can not be knowledgeable because the tree of the knowledge of good and evil has what's called epinoia which is the knowledge of the pleroma of the fullness of the divine mm-hmm. and um and the serpent wants them to just keep eating from the tree of life so they never become awake but they're still alive and so they're they're just kind of like this unconscious living which again is what allows the demiurge to have dominion over them and so um, when he eats it, Adam eats it, he kind of starts again to make his ascent. But every time, and you actually could see this like in the 1960s with the psychedelic movement, every time mankind seems to take a step towards the divine, the demiurgic principle sinks its claws in even deeper. And that's, you know, where you get the prohibition of all you know, sure. the drugs, you know, the, uh, Nixon and, um, you know, Just Say No, mm-hmm. where they really started to crack down even more on mm-hmm. psychedelics. Yeah, and... Yeah. and um, and then also, you know, it's funny because the demiurge is the one that sent Eve to be subject to Adam. So that way, you know, so so Adam would be like her master and she would have to be subjugated to him. And the reason he did that was because, again, so he could so there could be a misbalance in their energy in their mm. masculine and feminine energy, which doesn't allow them to be as full beings as they possibly could, which allows, again, the demiurge to have dominion over them. And I think that's really interesting because I think some of our biggest problems we have in our culture today is the war on drugs and the repression of people to be able to freely explore consciousness as they will. Um, And then as well, uh, a lot of violence towards women. I think that certainly is the case. And, you know, a lot of uh, uh, sexual violence, you know, rapes and and all that type of stuff. And, um, And I think... Uh, I think it is because we still were given this wrong story and we still are operating under some of those procedures. And I think that, you know, um, and I, and I find it interesting because like this kind of this Gnostic stuff isn't, you know, it's always been seen as heretical, but to me Mm -hmm. personally, I found it to be like even reading through the secret book of John and reading some of the stuff, the imagery and the, the poetry and the, the, the poetic qualities and what it kind of pulls towards is I think it's beautiful and I right. it's helped me to really understand what's going on and how we can go about, you know, solving this dilemma that, that we're in. 
Yeah, I think you're right. I think that this the narrative that we've been told, I mean, it goes all the way back to what we'd call the Orthodox Christian uh, Genesis narrative, Judeo-Christian right? Christian yeah, Judeo Christian. Yeah, this, and that led, and that 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 ultimately has cultivated the ground for the generation of very exploitive dominator systems, right? And and that's what uh, you know McKenna described it as dominator culture uh and that that become the the dominant um narrative mm-hmm. the dominant culture on the planet and it sort of permeates into everything you know for me but also talking about capitalism in particular which is a recent more ex- i would say more exploitive manifestation of this story um which which is this idea that human beings have dominion over the planet which mm-hmm. separates us from everything right Separate, separates us ultimately from ourselves even because that part of ourselves that is connected to the earth and the living systems of this planet are denied. And that creates all kinds of weird neurotic behavior in human beings. I think that's partly what we are experiencing right now is also a, a almost an undiagnosed um, disconnection with everything, <laughs> including <laughs> ourselves, which right. is great. Because mm-hmm. we, are, are, we are a being on this planet that that needs to be in communion and connection with the living things of this planet as well. And, mm-hmm. and as this planet dies, as the systems of this planet die, I think something within ourselves dies as well. Absolutely. And, um, but yeah, no, that, that, that goes all the way back to that point, but you know, those really, I don't know. I'll recommend this book to you. And I don't know if you, I don't know how, if you'll like it or not, but it's something that I think was really informative for me to understand where capitalism came from. Mm-hmm. And, um, Sylvia Federici's book, uh, Caliban and the Witch. Caliban and the Witch? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I have a copy if you fill up to reading it. And she's a, like, she's a, a feminist, uh, uh, Marxist, so she takes this sort of, that, that, that perspective, but she goes in a direction that she criticizes Marx for not having insight into the witch hunts and how that played such a pivotal role in not only the formation of what we now call, like, the nation-state, but in particular capitalism it's super fascinating it really informed a lot of my thinking because i started to really figure out like 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 in order for this system capitalism to come into existence as we understand it to be today um it had to be done through state violence against the bodies of people particularly women because women represented um oftentimes represented the uh the chaos as you i think you like point to um a little bit with with referencing jordan peterson uh, because women had, up until a point, a certain level of autonomy, and the state had to control that, and through kind of generating a hysteria yeah, around right, women. Right. Yeah, it's really fascinating. It's really good. It's very well researched. I would say that it's very well argued. Um, and you'll have to agree with the Marxist perspective, but I do understand that if you want to get at, like, like I, I love understanding where things began, what mm-hmm. what cultivated this way of thinking and being and feeling. Um, you know, and we talk about even systemic uh, systemic racism, you know, what role did the formation of capitalism come into that formation? This isn't, this isn't, I think this also comes down to an understanding we talk about hierarchies. Um, what we define as natural, I think is a narrative as well. I think a lot of it, not, not always, not completely, not in every sense, but there is a lot of narrative that goes into what we think is possible, what human beings are capable of doing and how they can choose to organize themselves if they wish. And, 
yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I, I get everything you're saying and I, and I agree with you on a lot of it. Um, I think I have a very, I think I have a much stricter definition of capitalism than you. Cause mm-hmm. I mostly like, I think of it in compared to something like communism. And I think about it right. in, like a little, like a free and open market. And, right. you know, you had said, you know, that capitalism, you know, brings about this pe- part where people have, you know, dominion over the earth. And I don't see that as capitalism. Again, I see mm-hmm. that coming from the Old Testament. Right. And which is something, you know. Not to, not to compare what you're saying at all. I just think it's really interesting because here's an example, like uh, how people have an idea of what something is and how it would play out in the real world and what it actually is and what it has shown to have been in reality. Like with people that are big, I guess I say libertarian types, um, pro-capitalist, laissez-faire capitalist types, they often point to the work of like like Milton Friedman. I don't know if you're familiar with Milton Friedman, but he was a professor of economics, um, uh, school of uh, University of Chicago, I believe. So back in 1973, you had um, a democratically elected president. He was a, a leftist president in Chile. Um, Allende was his name, or Allende. I could maybe say that wrong. But uh, Allende, uh, he was overthrown after several years by a U.S.-backed coup. And the coup was ultimately done by a guy named uh, General Pinochet. And when Pinochet overthrew the, this government... Mm-hmm. He had a a group of what they called the Chicago Boys, and they were people that were tutors that were tutored by Milton Friedman, and went to the school, the University of Chicago, to learn economics from him. So they believed that by through this coup and overthrowing this sort of socialist or Marxist or, or leftist government, they could then instate a laissez-faire capitalist economic model under the again the the sort of guidance and tutelage of of Milton Friedman, and. And what, what happened is in order for this experiment to even happen, they had to violently overthrow a democratically elected government. And I think that that also points to what happened when I talk about Caliban and the witch, which is that the people had to be forcefully um, pushed towards this idea that, that they want, that this idea of, of having free and open markets, um, that that was like the idea of freedom for them. For them... Um, freedom was having a stable community, having control over your own resources, having access to what's called the commons. Um, all those things were eradicated by the uh, by the most powerful people within European society um, in order to make way for privatization and um, what eventually became capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. So I think what often happens, and, and again, I, I, I appreciate your perspective because that is what often people think. It's about free markets. It's about having government out out of the control of 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 my economic affairs um i get that um but i still like heavy taxes on the rich i don't know why some people would need that much money and universal basic income i see like that yeah there's a really interesting article when he said universal basic income i thought about this earlier i interviewed a guy named douglas rushkoff Mm -hmm. and he's uh He's been in the technology like world for a long time, very critical of like Silicon Valley types. But he talks; he has a really interesting critique of universal basic income. It's, I'll, maybe I'll send if I can find it. I'll send that yeah, link to you. Yeah, I, I think it's, it would be something very difficult to figure out because I think you would have you'd want the numbers to be just right. Again, I think too little, and if it's not very effective, and too much, and yeah. it can again collapse that that, that right. pyramid. And 
Yeah. But I guess I guess maybe my point is is that we tend to project our ideas of what we think should be and what we think is natural for human behavior and when it actually is is enacted when we actually do see it play out it doesn't like for instance we can argue that with communism we could I, I, I the the ideas of like the dictatorship of the proletariat taking control of the means of production and how that played out in the uh, in Russia that led to this sort of authoritarian communism, this mm-hmm. sort of like top-down hierarchy of controlling all the resources and how everybody had to fit within this role and they had to f- you had to fit within that role within the society or you would be sent to the gulag, right? Mm-hmm. That isn't what I'm for either. And so, you know, right. I think, it, again, it kind of goes both ways. And for me, what I, what I am focused on is sort of, like with talking about Dr. Bones earlier, talking about Rojava, I think Rojava, and I think there's other really good examples of people that are practicing like ground level communism, but it is not authoritarian. It's not forced upon anybody, and it's something that people are willingly engaged in because they see that as a fulfillment of their true human potential. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting what we define freedom as. You know, it's the freedom to have control over your bank account and money that you have and your finances and all this stuff, ability to invest in whatever you want, regardless of the external costs that are not included in the capitalist paradigm like i was watching a stand-up comedian today and he was talking about how if you accounted for all the externalities uh uh, cost external costs that come with buying a cheeseburger at mcdonald's you pay one dollar for that cheeseburger but if you include all the things that that are involved in the process of extracting that meat uh or you know harvesting that meat from an animal it's like $200 a fucking cheeseburger. Let alone the ecological costs. Yeah, exactly. And that fits into it, right? Um, so so I guess, I don't know what my point was. I'm rambling, but... The definitions, you know, trying to figure out... And I don't doubt that... I think all systems can be atrophied and corrupted. I think people... And capitalism has been, uh, I think, uh, you know, taken by... I would say the Orthodox Christians, and they've used it, and they've built too many borders around, and the pyramid is too, I think uh, the pyramid is too steep right now in our culture, right. and I think we have to figure out how to balance that, and I think, yeah, and, 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 that's, and that's why I think that, like, really the left has to figure out how to not, I mean, uh, how to, uh, I think both sides ultimately, uh, um, but I think, I think it's up to the left right now, because mm-hmm. the right already has the power. And like you had actually said that when your conversation with Mina, like the, the, the left is just like failing to kind of, right. They're not very well organized. And again, this, this fixation and a lot of it has to do with, there's a lot of reasons for this, but fixation on identity <laughs> politics. Mm-hmm. Again, we shouldn't dismiss maybe right. the, the importance of identity, but this fixation as the, and that is like the only power right. that we can grab is through our, our representation of our identities um, that that has really disempowered the left and has actually caused all these weird schisms and divisions within the left. Um, but you know, the point I wanted to make about hierarchy, because mm-hmm. I've been thinking about this lately, you know, mm-hmm. this idea that, w- that we want to just abolish all hierarchies. And I actually kind of agree that there, there is a place for it. It's kind of like this interesting thing where if you're a biologist and you're studying or ecologist, whatever you want to call it, if you're studying life and how life organizes itself and forms on this planet. Initially, when you had like this sort of survival of the fittest paradigm of science where people are looking at these animals or like they're competing to see who can win mm-hmm. and it's really about competition mm-hmm. and any sort of cooperation is in service of competition. What they're discovering now more and more, and you could talk 
about like say uh, when you talked about your your conference you went to where people are studying mushrooms mycology the Mm -hmm. symbiotic relationship between Mm -hmm. fungi and and plants and like uh trees and human and you know mammals and all of these symbiotic relationships that everything is actually more in communion with one another than actual competition what we identify as competition is actually fits within cooperation right it is a function of cooperation which is and so to place uh so really again that comes down a bit to narrative and, yeah, and what yeah. we choose to focus on and what we choose to create our system. So when it comes to hierarchy, we may view hierarchy as being more fully manifest within a capitalist structure. Mm-hmm. But I would also say, like, no, hierarchy has a place, but but just like... Way deep in biology. Way yeah, deep yeah. And I think there's an interesting um, story that this guy was telling about indig- an indigenous culture, an indigenous tribe that he was, like, he's like an anthropologist or something. Mm-hmm. He was hanging out with these these tribe. And he noticed that, like, the indigenous, they, they, they would go hunting. And let's say that some dude hunts this huge fucking animal. And he's just like, look at this thing. I, God, I'm going to feed the tribe <laughs> for days. And they're just like, ah, it's not that, whatever. It's not that fucking big. Who gives a shit? You're not that good of a hunter. Like, all these things disparage him. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the anthropologist was like, why are you doing that? And he's like, oh, yeah, no, that, that is a really good hit. Like, he got a good kill. But... If we let that go to his head and he thinks he's like the hunter, mm-hmm. oh, that, that creates all kinds of social problems. Right, yeah, yeah. We have, they have so, there are certain mechanisms uh-huh. that <laughs> exist to curtail some of the worst elements of human nature. Right. While That's still acknowledging there are holy or sacred or, or necessary dimensions of hierarchy, which is where like initiatory rights come into. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the mentality of a child is not meant to exist past a certain age because that becomes a problem for the society, for the culture. So they have initiatory rights to make sure boys grow into men. Trump and, never got that. <laughs> no, and, and that's something I've talked about a few times on this podcast is, is the, the lack of, like you talk about ritual and ethics, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. We don't have those. We don't have meaningful right. um, initiatory rights or anything. And so it gets kind of... Uh, hijacked by other mechanisms within a society like military service or something, right? Like, which serves a, a wholly different function than what people may think it does. That that internal drive, especially for young men, to prove themselves and to leave mm-hmm. and come back and be recognized as a man by the society, by the tribe, by the family, whatever it is, that drive is very real. That's biological. Mm-hmm. That's fucking deep in our mm-hmm. psychology. And if we don't have a healthy way of recognizing and addressing and coping, not coping, but but channeling that into a healthy mechanism in the culture will be swallowed up in it. There's like some, I think it's like an African proverb or something, but it's like, oh, it's like if, if boys don't have the warmth of the community to hold them, they will burn the village just to feel warmth. There's some, I'm paraphrasing. That's exactly it. Because That's it, what, yeah. Because what the, like, like I said, our pyramid is too steep and we have people at the top who don't have a sense of community. Like you would, I, I just like, if you were just like, it, a initi- properly initiated human with a heart, you would just want to give stuff to people. Like sure. you, 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 you would, and uh, and that's why I think the lack of religion, the lack of ethics, the lack of community, the lack of communion, the lack of a, uh, 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 I would say like a people who embody a sort of transcended ego paradigm has its consequences and we are burning the village right now i mean yeah. we are we're burning the whole damn village um, and i think that's something maybe we'll point to um i don't know i feel like we discussed this before but maybe we talked about earlier today earlier in this conversation but the 
the the the fixation on identity and blaming mm-hmm. white people for everything and you know the people that are like committing these like crazy right wing acts of terrorism basically these you know not not to um there are people within our culture a lot of them are young men and this is why i think while i don't agree with peterson on a lot of things i do recognize the function he is serving which is that young men and particularly white young men in particular because i think we've talked about whiteness before and and like what white what it means to be white is actually to kind of have been cut off from your ancestors to be cut off from your heritage mm-hmm. and that rootlessness creates all kinds of weird problems in, in the culture and particularly for young white men they don't have that so so they want to they, they have this anger and this rage that they don't understand and know how to direct and it mm-hmm. comes out in all kinds of fucking weird ways and to the point where they're gonna kill people mm-hmm. you know to sort of uh, exact vengeance on a world that didn't care for them or didn't care about them in the way that they felt they deserved and also it does come from a place of privilege, which again, it's just this whole complex interplay of different factors and, 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 um, and I often feel like the right and the left don't know how to, how to address it. They, they're like, well, we're going to give white people any credit or any sort of grievance or any sort of empathy because they've taken so much from so many people. I'm like, I get that. But then other people are like, well, we're not actually addressing the wounds that come with being a white person in this culture, mm-hmm. which is to say that, yes, there's privilege, but it's kind of like, a rich person who never understands the consequences of their actions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the same certain degree for white people as well. They don't understand the consequences of their beliefs or right, their behavior. Right. Anyway, it's just, it's a huge fucking mess. Mm-hmm. So complicated. And particularly when you fit it within the idea of the nation or this sort of abstract, um, entity we call, ma- you know, that's basically just a mass society trying to behave as if it's not, Right. It, it's, it gets incredibly complicated and difficult to sort of unpack and untangle all the threads of that wound and get to like that that really sore spot because as soon as we get close to that mm-hmm. people flip out and that and that to me is actually what's almost it's like almost impossible for me to imagine our culture or any culture like ours to heal because that wound is so deep to actually get at it would require so much of us. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's like profound psychedelic experience when the, when the psychedelic entity, the plant, mother ayahuasca, the mushroom hive mind, whatever it is, there's like mm-hmm. always something there with you guiding you through it. And it's pointing you, this is why you've been this way. And it's not out of hatred or judgment. It's out of empathy. It's like mm-hmm. you are the way you are because you were beaten yeah. as a child because your father never paid attention, you know, all of these things. And you have to look at that and you have to feel that again, mm-hmm. which is why it works, but why it fucking sucks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause you see the consequences. Yeah. You see where your soul will go. Yeah. And if, and if your soul's directed towards hell and you see that, Oh God, it's, it hurts, man. <laughs> you know, I love those stories though of like, I was a Wall Street executive, and I went down to Peru, took some ayahuasca. <laughs> now I'm a shaman. Like, like he just like, whoa, like how did that happen? Like, people, you lost your mind. He's like, no, I feel more myself than I've ever felt before. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what else to say. But shamanism I, has been outlawed in the West, and it seeks a revival. Yeah, that's that's what people are trying to get at, aren't they? So, but I, I, overall, I think that there are there are some good potentials for changes in consciousness coming you know i think i the 
you know, like psychedelics, like psilocybin, you know, uh, mm. uh, by 2021, it could be, you know, uh, out, you know, FDA regulated. I am very still skeptical of the FDA and everything sure. that it does. And the, the, it, uh, I'm just kind of ties based. into that conversation I had with Robert Forte a little bit. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Really interesting the discussion. Commodification yeah. And, and, um, instead of just allowing, like even with cannabis, the over commodification, instead of just allowing right. people to just grow it in their fucking garden. I love how he describes like, I want, I want cannabis to be legal. Like garlic is legal. Yes, exactly. Like you just, it's just yes. not even a thing. We don't yeah. have to make it, we don't have yeah. to turn it into this like, exotic yeah. thing. It's just, yeah, it's a thing that people do and you don't make a big deal out of it. And yeah. it just is what it is, you know? And I'm like, that's exactly right. But we've turned it into this like commodity. You go to a dispensary and it costs this much and it's all this. Yeah. 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 No, but it, it, I could even see, it would be cool if people started trying to grow cannabis. Maybe they'd get into gardening in general and we just had more <laughs> people gardening. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> you know, cannabis is a gateway gardening. You're like, I grow cannabis <laughs> and tomatoes and, and broccoli, you yeah. know, just like everything else. Yeah, so I think, and I, you know, like at the conference, there were, there, you know, I saw a lot of critique on, you know, the patriarchy and those types of things and, and, it, you know, with, against, you know, Christianity. And I think those are definitely warranted in a way. But I still get a feeling that a lot of people, like, one of my favorite things Carl Jung says is, the only thing that can replace a religion is a religion. Mm. And that's what and that's what I mean, right. like, with ceremony and actually mm. coming to some of these things. Because that's what, that's what, again, as a, you know, musician working on my second album, I'm even kind of gearing this album towards that type of, that type of substance that can produce mm -hmm. cognitive transformations and, and transformations in consciousness. And of course, with the aid of whatever particular plant, you know, mm -hmm. uh, chemical messenger you'd like to use. And so, and that's that's what and, and I I'm even kind of like right now my plans are to get out of Idaho. I I can't like I <laughs> I, I wanted yeah. to stay here and help, but it's too. I have to wait for things to change more. You know, on on federal levels and because right. what I really want to do, I'd get thrown in prison for it here, even if it's just like cannabis. You You're know? like, yeah. I remember when I went to your house and you were sort of talking and showing me stuff, and I'm like what the fuck are you like with no offense like not not in a bad way but i'm like what are you doing here doing this <laughs> right right and the way that you're doing it like you're like this this like shaman living in fucking jerome like it's so <laughs> weird i don't know and, and that's i mean that is a compliment like yeah and that's yeah. again another beautiful thing about this podcast is the connections i've made with all kinds right. of various and very interesting yeah. folks and i love that that's the most enriching part so anybody that is uh listening that's a patron that's that's why i love you because you're I'm drawing all you people out. Like, yeah. a, I, I love that. I, I've used it a few times with that McKenna, you know, find the others, you know, yeah. like look for the others that get it and then build something with that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's what I'm trying to do just for my own benefit. At the very least, find other people that understand, you know, and, uh, yeah, yeah man, I don't know. We've had a really, that yeah. was a little, it was a good conversation. I didn't know where we were going to, I just sort of wanted to just talk well, with you. This, and this is good. And, uh, do you have any more like conferences or any other like big things that you're gonna look well, forward to doing? I'm definitely gonna go to the same conference I went to. I want to start looking towards more conferences and just around and you know I made again I made some some of the connections with the musicians I met and so I've mm -hmm. I'm gonna continue you know 
uh, what's that word? It's slipping my mind. Corresponding with them mm-hmm. and just keeping in connection, you know, within some of the yeah. other people I met. And, you know, I just keep connecting with, you know, m- my friends and, you know, and hopefully maybe expand that as time goes on. Um, and you're on Bandcamp, right? You have your yeah. shit on Bandcamp? Yeah, From the Flora is my project name. I'll put a link in there. Cool. Down below. And um, yeah, I'm not sure when my se- second album's going to be out. I'm hoping maybe by the end of this year, but if mm. the art takes longer, the art takes longer. Um, yeah, just take your time. And it, no, yeah, and so no I think p- it's something that'll be a real big game changer for me because I've just put a lot of time and effort into it. And even the cover art, I'm paying a guy to do that. And so. Um, yeah. I just wanted to say one thing as you asked at least one or two. Yeah, you asked two questions during the live podcast. Mm-hmm. You sent a few questions in through the live stream, which was really cool. He had some really good questions. Yeah. So I appreciate that. I I just, I, I feel like what I, I don't know, like I got some good responses from the podcast, but like anything I, I delve into regarding those subjects, people don't always want to talk about mm-hmm. what I really was getting at with Dar and with Bones because <laughs> they're like, this is a little intense. Like same thing with my TEDx talk people didn't know what to make of it right like you did a great job okay is that it yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> right. all right i i get you're not ready but you know man uh, one last thing i don't know we're just sort of talking but yesterday man i it's funny i could talk as much as i want about the ecological crisis or anything and it becomes it's almost like my work in a certain way which mm-hmm. sounds weird not that this podcast is work but it definitely is a labor that i i engage in mm-hmm then yesterday I was just reading these stories about what's going on in California with the wildfires oh, there. Yeah. And people were in their cars trying to drive away and they were trapped and they suffocate. Like they, they, they literally were trapped in their cars and they died from the heat. And, and kind of like what Dar pointed to in the live podcast, he's like, I did all this research into my book and I thought I got it. You know, I thought I got it. And then I went to the mountains to try to escape from that to, to find some solace in the smoke rolled I in from these mountains when i was coming here there was smoke on yeah. the horizon the sunset yeah and there were like fires up in probably i think it was british columbia and, and other areas of washington yeah, and british california columbia. and oregon and like and that realization like this is personal you know this is real and something about reading about that's that wildfire and i know that part of it's also just it's did you see some of the videos it's insane oh, it's yeah. absolutely insane and like this is happening so frequently now and i had this just like i just like i just had to share that it was just it yeah as much as i talk about this when it really hits you personally feel it like that is hard to put into words and it's i know it's a weird thing to say it's encouraging but more and more people are feeling that now Mm -hmm. i I like to i like i want to i want you to read charles eisenstein i think you really should i think he Mm -hmm. would be up your alley as far as your feeling and your your intention and who you are. Okay. But his discussion about what climate change and the ecological crisis is asking us as a species, like mm-hmm. putting us back in that right role with the planet again. Mm-hmm. Um, that that to me is what it is because that 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 heart broken broken heartedness that comes with recognizing. Like I have an interview coming up on Sunday with a woman named Tre- I'm gonna say her name. I think it's Trebe Johnson, I believe. She wrote a book about um, broke the broken places. I can't remember the name of the t- the title of the book, but mm-hmm. the broken like like that feeling like 
when you wanted solace, you go to that special place in nature, that beautiful kind of meadow or that spot that you grew up in or whatever that was connect- you felt a connection with. And when industry or some other thing violates that and turns that place into a, uh, a wasteland. Of metal. <laughs> yeah, or, or just like kills all the land, you know. That, that you can't recover from that. Mm-hmm. That that place that held you it no longer exists. And that's the planet right now. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what's happening. And it, it's really hard to cope with. And so, anyway, I don't know what my point was. It just, that's that's some, that's some my place right now in doing this. And There's suffering. The, the, there, there always is, I mean, even, you know, I'll kind of pull it from Buddhist philosophy. The first noble truth is the, the noble truth of suffering. Mm-hmm. And that's the start. I mean, that's that's the first noble truth. And we understand uh, the cause of that, which the Buddha kind of points towards it being desire. Mm-hmm. You know, too much desire, unchained or yeah, unchained desire or unbounded desire that's not properly um, watched for and paid mm-hmm. attention to can bring about all sorts of disastrous and uh, consequences. Right. The third noble truth is the cessation of suffering and that's I think that's also something that's a really important truth because like to be able being able to actually witness the cessation of suffering is an important thing for all of us to be able to do because that it gives you an image or an impression of what is possible sure and that is something that can be a, a guiding image which leads on to the fourth noble truth which is the path that leads to the inevitable end of suffering, which is, mm-hmm. you know, the noble eightfold path and all these, you know, different, the right, right view and right intention, mindfulness, meditation, wisdom, compassion, all sorts of different things. And, um, but the first noble truth, noble truth of suffering that, that is, that is inherent in this world. And that's something that we have to kind of come to. And in a way, us all coming to that is what keeps us all, you know, bound together mm-hmm. and with, you know, with the fires in nature, I'm actually singing in one of the songs, I sing Latin, and it goes, Igne natura renovatur integra, which means through the fire, nature is made whole. Mm. And it's, fire is a very difficult thing for us to go through. Um, of course, it's always, it's always very painful, but it is part of a process that's much deeper than we can rationally apprehend. Sure. And it's something that I, you know... Uh, I did watch the interview with Charles Eisenstein. Mm-hmm. I really liked it because he, yeah. he he was able to kind of direct things towards like, he was kind of able to direct the intentions and in orienting our consciousness in a way to look for solutions within, mm-hmm. with uh, with sincerity. Sure. You know? so, yeah. So uh, what yeah. was, is there a particular book? Or yeah. Well, he just came out a book, a uh, new book. <coughs> I haven't, I just barely started reading. It's called Climate, A New Story. Mm. But um, the, the the like, there's two books I would recommend if you were wanting to like get into it, which is um, his book The Ascent of Humanity, and the second one is Sacred Economics. Mm. So speaking about this sort of, sort of economic thing, I mean, he really gets into the economic theory of. It's really fascinating because he's like thinks about what does it mean to have an economic system that embodies the sacred. You know, why? What would that be like? What would a monetary system be like that upheld sacred values? And how would that work, like on a practical level? And he just gets at it, and it's really good. He's very smart, very good, but he's very—he's like he's like 
you know some people you read and you're just like they're fucking channeling something like there's just something <laughs> there that's just a quality that's so mm-hmm. removed from what most people are able to 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 get at and that's kind of how i feel about him so when i interviewed him i was pretty nervous just because i respected him so much i'm like i can't believe i have an interview with charles i like this is crazy that person that you've read for years and you're yeah. just like ah and then you meet him and not really meet him it's through a skype call but have that conversation was just close enough it's pretty cool it made me yeah. really happy there's a few people like that that i've interviewed that i'm just like jesus i can't believe i had a conversation and yeah. they move you like there's a move like it's really mm-hmm. like my, another one that was like that was with Stephen jenkinson and his was about like elderhood and he wrote about death and dying and grief and all that and he's just so so you have such a grasp on the hum- on the english language that it just baffles me i'm just like man you are yeah um, i like the stephen jenkins that one was amazing good too. yeah elders yeah. yeah anyway yeah well uh spencer uh, skyler i'm sorry Jesus, I apologize. Did you call me Spencer? I did, yeah. That might, so, I mean, people have <laughs> called me. So that's actually how me and Spencer actually kind of formed a friendship is because... People confusing Br- you too. Brenda Larson, we had a philosophy teacher. We were in different classes, but she would call me Spencer, and I think she would call him Skylar sometimes. Yeah. Because we kind of look the same. I mean, our hair definitely, and yeah, uh, Spencer's, Spencer's a great guy. He's, oh, he's, he's great. He's When I first met him, I'm like, this is this guy makes Christians look... He's like the best Christian I've ever seen. <laughs> he's a, like, he is a, he's the embodiment of it. Yeah, the good, the the positive, the, yeah. the positive spec- end of the spectrum. Of Working that. with the earth, farming. I mean, like, yeah, he's great. And, oh my god. We both spoke at TEDx together, and he was right before me. And it was funny because the first half, <laughs> so that's so right before the intermission, right where like <clears throat> we had a break. I was at the, right before the intermission because of the, they did that on purpose because of what I was going to discuss was really heavy, and so it was like. Um, the first guy's name and then we had spencer and then there was a short little like tedx ted clip mm. like video and then they did mine and we're like all three of us are sitting back there waiting for our part we're so nervous and all of us are trying to figure out like spencer's like doing this like yoga shit in the yeah. corner <laughs> yes. the other guy is like facing a wall just like stare just <sighs> just like just like red and i'm like come on man <laughs> you know and then i'm just pacing like nervously it was great that we we all did it we all did really well which was great so yeah. um anyway it's just cool i i love i love uh i love spencer and i love you man so thank you for love you too man. reaching out and, and being a supporter and again if there's anything that you can think of that'd be really cool and this if any patrons are listening i ask that because like do you want me to i can give you a phone call i can fucking send you a letter of like whatever <laughs> i can i can send you some stickers or something i don't know i'm thinking of like little things that i could do that won't cost too much money <laughs> just <laughs> just keep keep working on the project keep producing cool. you know good stuff thank I mean, you that's what, that's what we want that's what we crave is a good conversation a good dialogue so cool Hopefully I get to do another live podcast eventually. We'll see how yeah, that goes. I'd like to be able to go because I, I didn't get to go last time because I was working at the hospital. Oh, so. yeah. And that's the whole thing, man. It was recorded. I'm really proud of how it turned out. The live, the, the recording was done by, well, Jordan recorded audio and managed it. Um, and then uh, Chase Chandler recorded the video and made a really good video production of it, which looked really good. So nice. I'm pleased with it. And um yeah, so anyway, thank you, man. And I'll link people to your music profile so people can listen cool. to your awesome music, man. Cool. Excited to hear your new stuff. Me too. All right, man. <laughs> thank you. Uh-huh.